Well, who was here this morning? Yeah, what a feast. Man, what a feast. He is so good, isn't he? He's just pouring down um, revelation, yeah. Revelation truth that, that feeds us and changes us. And, and um, forever my heart is rearranged. <laughs> I love that, that he does what we can't possibly do. So it's been exciting, hasn't it? And um, tonight, I, I want to start and pick up on some things that um, Chris shared about Esther last week. Oh, yeah, says Zena. It was so, so cool. Um, and just tie, tie it in um, with Ephesians 6, verse 10. So I'm going to read out Ephesians 6, verse 10. Um, but also just, I guess, a couple of words out of the next few um, verses. So I'll just read this. So Ephesians 6, verse 10 is, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So stand firm is the, the bit that he's really been highlighting to me along with this be strong in the Lord. So um, Chris said something um, which was a very cool just statement, um, declaration. The inner, um, let, me, let me go for it, here we go. True confidence is not an external performance that looks the part, but an an eternal, sorry, an internal reality that causes one to stand. To stand. Interesting how this ties in, isn't it? So there is something that he builds in us that stands, right? Um. And it's an inner substance and reality built by Christ. And it's tied up with believing what he said. And we're going to have a look a little bit at that um, as well, in abiding in him um, by the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at confidence there's a, a scripture in 1 John 4, 15 to 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. There it is. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, 
love is perfected in us. Sorry, is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Sounds a bit like standing firm in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. These are all things that we've been hearing. Walk in the manner that he walked. Um, And then it goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Isn't it interesting? We have come to know and have believed the love. He's telling us some stuff. He's telling us some things that are, that have been established before the foundation of the earth. It's all love, but we still have to believe it. There's a high calling. And this is what we've been hearing right through Ephesians about the high calling. Do we know what the high calling is? Do we believe it? Because he's talking about we have come to know and have believed the love. Well, what does that love entail? Does it just mean saving us? Or does it mean something way more? You see, the thing I got to thinking about when Chris was sharing about Esther was that before that call came out, remember he said that the king gave messengers a message to call these young virgins. Now, before that call came out, did she have the remotest thought that she would be a queen? I'm asking you. Yes? No? No. Okay. So she didn't have an inkling, right? So a call comes out and she suddenly has a complete change in everything in her life. The call comes with the capacity to fulfill the call because of the one who gives the call. But in ourselves, we ain't got it. So when I'm thinking about Esther, I am seeing that this call comes out and she is brought into the palace of the king. And there's a whole lot of stuff that was possibly part of her life that is no longer possible to be part of her life. This is all coming out of Esther 2, 9 and 10. Now the young lady pleased him, so the young lady being Esther, pleased um, Hegai and, have I said that right? Hegai, Hegai, and found favour with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai, that was her 
uncle who was looking after her, had instructed that she should not make them known. So there's a few things that just became completely um, eliminated. They, They had to be. She had to make a choice that these things were completely and immediately eliminated. She could not eat her own choice of food anymore. Interesting, eh? Now, I want us to be putting ourselves in Esther's place in the, the, um, the allegory that this is of the Bride of Christ, right? So what is our food now? It's heavenly manner, isn't it? Okay? So she is put in a position where she's given food from the king, okay? So we are fed now as I prayed before, from heaven, we are fed from this food that God gives us from a totally different realm, okay, heavenly manner. She had to give up using her own methods of beautifying herself. I mean, it's talking about cosmetics, we're talking an external thing, but I'm talking about how do we beautify ourselves in the natural It's not just about external, it's about what we heard Sam talking about this morning. You know, modifying the old man, like trying to be better Christians. (laughs) Um, This whole striving thing that comes from self. And she is given cosmetics, she's given the beautifying from the king. So what's the beautifying from the king? It's his righteousness. It's his process of sanctification. It comes by being built by God. It's so beautiful, isn't it? She actually had to let go of choosing her own companions, interestingly. And for us, it's like she was brought into a position where we're maids, we're ministering to her, right? Okay? And God places us in a family where he ministers to us through each other. So our companions now are the ones in the body who are ministering, ministering out, of, out of God's grace. She couldn't anymore choose where she spent her time. You know, I'm, I'm just going to kick back at the mall today. Um, she's been prepared to be queen. She has been given the best place. The best place. Doesn't this speak to you? We are seated in heavenly places. We are found now in a different place. We spend our time in a different place. We don't spend our time sitting in this earthly perspective, but we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have a totally different place to spend our time. (laughs) She can no longer be drawing from her own cultural background. Interesting. So whatever we have come 
come to the party with in the natural as far as our own background, that's not the thing that's going to teach us kingdom culture. He's got to teach us kingdom culture. Entirely different thing. She can't be employed in self-absorbed behavior anymore. I love Queen Elizabeth. You know why I love Queen Elizabeth? Because what I see of this queen is that she is selfless. And of all the royal family, she's the one I would pick as saying, this queen has modeled what it is to be set apart for her people. You know? She has lived a life selflessly for decades, and she's an old woman now, and she's still doing it. Not thinking about herself, but thinking about her people. Self-sacrificial. And, and when you think of being prepared for royalty, this has to be part of it. That this self-absorbed behavior is no longer an option. Because we have, we have got a different purpose. We've been set apart for a different purpose. It is a price to pay, but it's, it's got its reward because we've got this purpose before us. And, and in the kingdom, what is the first command? Yeah, love the Lord your God with all, everything. It's not loving yourself. <laughs> Vashti's an interesting one, isn't she? She was, I mean, who knows what was going on. But it appears to me that she was busy in her own thing. And she did not like being interrupted from her own thing. When the call came from the king, she refused. But why did she refuse? Because she was doing her own thing. She was having a party with the girls, man. You know, not a good time. When is not a good time for him? Vashti probably was thinking, it's not convenient. Do it another time. How many times do we say to the Lord, it's not convenient? You know, this is not the language of a bride. He's talking about simple, pure devotion to Christ. Devotion to Christ is devotion to Christ. 24-7 devotion to Christ, not when it's convenient. There was no place for immature tantrums at not getting your own way. Jesus faced decisions in the garden, didn't he? And it's hard sometimes but it is his will, not ours. He modelled that. She couldn't be loving herself before the king and his subjects. There's a love to come into as the bride that completely um, it completely goes over the other things. The love for him, but the love for one another. And it lays its life down. And, and that is one of the things that becomes the pulsating in us. But we do have to 
lay our lives down, you know. She, she could have um, maybe before, although I, to be honest, I don't see this in Esther. I don't think she did have this orphan spirit. Um, but there is an aspect for us that we can fall back on, but I'm only human excuses. I've always been like that. This is a, you know, and it's like, does Christ say that? <laughs> um, you know, is, is, it, is this bride thinking? Is this the thinking of a queen? Or are we actually being formed by what he says, you know? Um, the fear of exposure, far out. Like, I mean, that was pretty hardcore in the harem. Um, <laughs> and of rejection. Like, it has, it has to be put aside and you come, you, you have a choice. You either live in that place and you don't get changed or you accept the love and you accept the choosing. And um, you accept the preparation that is always to do with love and for a purpose. So all of these things are, are things that are no longer part of us because we've been called and chosen. Um, being, you know, leading yourself instead of being led by um, he guy. Um, I love the way Chris pointed out the fact that when all the other ladies went in to see the queen, uh, the king rather, that they took with them what they wanted, but she chose to take what he said, and him, you know, if we think of him being like a type of the Holy Spirit, he's the one that knows the king. He's the one that knows what he likes. And through that time, she would have been asking, what does the king like, you know? And to be guided entirely, she was totally without possibility of knowing those things, and the thing, the thing I love about this story is it shows how totally inadequate she was for the job without his help. I think it's a brilliant story for that because I think too often we don't get that. We don't get that we can't do it. And we heard that this morning. And there's... There's part of the reason for this is that we don't know the high calling. We, we really don't have that revealed in us. And so we think that our purpose in life is to live a good Christian life. And it's sort of, we invent it. So it's like this sort of, whatever we might picture that to be, this ordinary life that's it's just better than other people that don't know God in this vague kind of way. It's, it's, a, it's a man-made kind of construct and we actually can almost do it in our own strength because it's a low calling. 
And I think we, we have to be, um, to realize that a high calling is going to come with it that I can't do that. It has to. If, if it doesn't come with that, we are going to keep on trying to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the very thing that qualifies us to come into reliance on the Holy Spirit. And that, that's, that's the thing I you know, really want to bring across today, that there, there's a high calling and there's a high empowering. But if we don't get sight of the high calling, we won't come into the leaning into the high empowering because it'll be something else that we supply. Hmm. We do hear, that's right, our faith comes by hearing, yeah, and hearing by the word of God, and he's declaring what the word is, who we are, that's right. So we have our high calling, and have we heard it? That's the first question, have we heard it? Do we have ears to hear? And then it's like, how do we respond to that? Do we respond in faith? Do we respond in belief? Or do we back off from it? Because if we're backing off from it because it's too hard, can I just encourage you that, yes, that's a really good conclusion. (laughs) That's exactly where you're meant to get to. But it's not meant to, to keep you in that place of shrinking back at all. It's not a shrinking back. Because faith has to believe in what can't be done on one's own. It has to believe in something outside of yourself. Otherwise, it's not faith. Yeah? So... Have we heard that we are to be the bride of Christ? Have we heard that we are to be transformed into his likeness? That we are literally to be as he is? Are we really meditating on what this means? That... He sees us walking holy and blameless before him. Is that just for someone else or is that for is that for me? Is it for you, Josh? Is is it is it for us? Do we do we believe him? <laughs> you see, he has made a way for that to be a reality in our lives. And it only comes when we realize that we can't do it, but he has made the way. And he has made the way through his Holy Spirit because his Holy Spirit gives us the power over the flesh. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. The Holy Spirit gives us the power over the flesh so that, as in, in Romans 8.13, it says, by if, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is possible. And it's this, this strength that he's talking about, be strong in the Lord. 
It's so interesting. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Why does he say finally? He's just spent five chapters, the bulk of his letter, talking about this eternal purpose. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In other words, if you've got this, if you're hearing this, if you're, if you're um, receiving this revelation in you of what it is, I'm telling you that you must know that there's a high empowerment for this. It cannot be done any other way. And the empowerment is him and the reality of that within us. It's not a striving. It's not a um, gritting your teeth. (laughs) It's a power that comes through him in us. Galatians 2.20, we've heard this before, but I want us to think of Esther and the change that happened when she went into that harem and the things... The, the life that we now live. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, my day-to-day existence, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, it's all to do with love, isn't it? He empowered it through love. He thought about it through love. (laughs) It's a strength that comes in our weakness. We hear about that in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This internal reality that causes one to stand It's a steadfastness, isn't it? There's a, it's interesting, um, I alluded to it before, in in Colossians 1, verse 11, um, it talks about the kind of strength it is. Because sometimes we can think, I've just got to be strong, I've got to be strong. And the message version says, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. Powerful, isn't it? Let's listen. I'll I'll just share that passage. It's verses 9 to 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, the knowledge of his will, his eternal purpose, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding revealed by the Spirit, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's going to actually have effect exact on in in how you do your everyday life 
and you're going to look like him, act like him, be like him, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it continues to grow, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Mm. You see, his, his might and strength is a whole different reality. We've um, just recently been up to see my parents and, you know, they're elderly now, they're in their 80s and facing some really big life changes, downsizing into, from a big home into a little two-bedroom place. Health is going, mobility's going, there's pain. Um, my poor mum's just had a skin cancer, a deep-rooted skin cancer taken out of her leg, so she can't move at the moment. Um, and there's a whole lot of things there going on. And as Chris and I were praying um, for them while we were up there, the Lord just really spoke to me about the, the passage that's in Isaiah 40, the quality of the strength that he renews in us. And it says, um, it's just the most beautiful thing from 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? He's the ancient of days. Hmm. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired. Hey, I thought they were the ones with all the energy. Hmm, interesting. And vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength or will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. There is so much in this. So much in this. And as, as we were praying, I'll just tell you what wait to wait means. To wait means to entwine yourself, okay? It doesn't mean the wait that you sit in a waiting room for the doctor. It's not that kind of waiting. It's a twisting and entwining. And it's got the whole um, notion of robust strength that endures, why? Because of who you're entwined with, right? It's, it's a similar abiding. So those who wait for the Lord, wait on the Lord, will, will gain new strength and renew their strength. This renewing of our strength, if you think of what, we've all been young, I still remember it, it's not quite so long ago, you know the energy that you have as a young person when you're starting something new, some new endeavor, and it's just like everything's like so much energy and so much anticipation, and you've got all the strength in the world to start on something, right? That's the clip. Jesus. Right, okay. That was never part of my world, Vera. <laughs> So, so we, so we, 
that's, that's the closest that we can get, but it's actually nothing like the energy and the strength that God gives us. The thing is that this renewing every day, and this is what he was speaking to me as I was praying for my parents in their 80s, this strength is for an 80-year-old just as much as it is for a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old. It's a strength that renews. It, it is new and fresh all the time. It never grows weary because he doesn't grow weary. It's him in us. So this, this empowerment doesn't have limitations like human strength does. It doesn't have the capacity to get tired and weary. Even, even our best crack at human strength, which the scripture goes to the youths, okay, even when they get weary, you see it's entirely different capacity to our human ability. So the vigorous young men stumble badly. So we're not looking for another human strength. We're looking for his strength and capacity, which is entirely of a different realm. So when he says be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, he's talking about that. That doesn't have the, the limitations that we have in our thinking, in our, in our experience of strength, right? That we start something and then we're kind of, trying to push through to the end or we're getting a bit old and the old tents are, you know, going south and all the rest. <laughs> it's not to do with that. It's to do with this inner strength. And, and he talks about it, um, this beautiful passage that actually talks about the outer man decaying in Second Corinthians 4, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's an entirely different form of capacity because the capacity is not coming from the outer man. The, the capacity is coming from the inner man. Do you see what I'm saying? So all of Ephesians, what he has put forward, the capacity is going to come from the inner man, not from this outward man. It's entirely different. It comes from our intimacy, from our entwining with him. It comes from our feeding from the manner that he's giving us that is from another realm, yeah? And because we can, we can just take him at his word. He, he said this. I have seen this and I've experienced this in, in myself in times where I shouldn't have had capacity <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of you have had the same thing, where there's, there's things that have happened. I remember this when, um, just one example, when Chris got sick, um, the thought came into my head, um, maybe it's a season where I just have to pull back a little bit and uh, not be so um, available to do things here, um, and the Lord said, don't you dare. <laughs> Not in a scolding way, but in, in like, where's your strength coming from? Where's your, you just watch. I'm going to give you capacity, girl, you didn't know was available. I'm, I'm going to 
make available and give you access to something you didn't know was there. And if you pull back, you're never going to experience it. And, and that was literally what it was like. It was like in that time when the flesh, the first response was, oh, but this is a season where I pull back, that I came into a, um, uh, an experiencing of his capacity, which wasn't me, that I just would not have experienced had I done that pulling back. And so often I think we do this, we sort of, we, we make the parameters and we sort of say, if I do this, I'm going to overcommit or I'm going to be spinning too many plates. And all of that language is just human stuff. It's not his kingdom stuff, you know? He, I mean, Paul didn't back off when he was being persecuted. <laughs> you know, he, he actually boasted in his weakness because right there, right there in that place of when I'm being afflicted and things are coming at me, I see Christ and his strength in me. So it's like, whoa, I want that. That's what I want. Because that now shows Christ to the world. It's no longer showing Paul to the world, it's showing Christ to the world. And that's the whole idea. So, yeah, I just encourage you not to back off. <laughs> he does. Hmm. And another, another interesting um, time just recently, um, uh, and, and this also talks about the transformation and how love um, drives out fear. So fear is not part of Christ, right? Are we agreed on that? I've never seen any evidence of fear being in Christ. So it's not to be part of us. And this beautiful thing about how he, um, he fills us with his love and that trumps the fear. And um, just a little example of this. <clears throat> some of you will know this, some of you won't. But um, since I was newly married, I guess. Um, I've had this thing that I'm really not a great cook and, um, and I do, still don't claim to be a great cook at all. Um, I, I think it, um, it sort of got a little bit better and then I had kids and they were all, always complaining. So <laughs> it sort of got worse again. And, and, so the, and also, you know, my mum is... A brilliant cook, and you know, so I, 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 I guess I was just in that space where it, this wasn't a comfortable place at all. And um, just recently, and I've just, you know, Lord, you know about this. And the thing is that what He does is He fills you with love for people, and the love for people trumps your need to get it right. <laughs> Yay! It's just as well, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so um, a couple of weeks ago, I suppose it was, um, or just over a week ago, I woke up, oh, it was the night after we had David Lake here on the Thursday night, and um, just an awesome night, and I woke up in the morning with the beginnings of a migraine, and um, I was very out to it, and, and there were a whole lot of things I forgot that I was supposed to be doing, but then we got ourselves on track again and I did the teaching that I was supposed to do and everything, prayed against this thing 
by midday, the migraine had gone. And I was just sitting, sitting um, in the sun after the students had gone and just thanking the Lord and everything. <clears throat> I get a call from um, Greg saying, uh, would you and Chris like to um, take David out for dinner um, tonight? And I thought, that would be awesome. But we actually had a prior commitment that we were going to have some other people. And, I, um, and so I got back to him and said, well, you know, I, they're real easy going and we could probably rearrange if you haven't got anybody else in mind. Um, and so he said, yeah, no, no, if you can do that, that would be good. So I did that. And then as I was just, I, I wasn't hardcore praying, I was just thinking about it. And this, I just had so much love in my, it's just like, this is so cool, this is awesome. And I thought, it'd be really good to give him a home-cooked meal. I was like, who said that? <laughs> but it's just like, I don't do that, you know, normally. <laughs> but it, you know what it was? Love casts out fear. There, was, was, there wasn't the slightest iota of fear in there. Because it was about loving him and, and this love that was in my heart. And so somehow I put up a meal that was kind of okay. Um, but it wasn't about that. It was about being set free. Do you see? It was about capacity to just listen and obey without this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And that's the, that's the kind of like nitty gritty of stuff that he does and he, he changes us and and sets us more and more and more free. So there's no limits. Um, he's, he is a limitless God and and we are a limitless people. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we do have to have our minds renewed to that, you know, which is um, awesome, <laughs> really awesome. And it was fun. We had an awesome time. It was great. Um so, you see, he starts defining who we are and, and redefining everything. And the Holy Spirit le- leads us. The, you know, he, the other thing he, he has done in that with the migraine thing is just like you're not subject to illness. You're subject to him, and he's not subject to illness. You know what I mean? So e- even in the, the leaning on him and that and, and some of the things that have happened with that have been just incredible. But it's like not accepting what I would accept in my, understa- my own understanding, but being led by the Spirit so that in, in those moments you can, you can speak what he says to speak and expect something different from just this um, this limited capacity. So really my main, my main thing is that there's a high calling and there's a high empowerment that you have to experience to know how high it is and the more you experience it and the more you walk in it, the more it sets you free and it al- allows you to come into all the things that he has for us. And there's this aspect of believing what he said in the first place. Because if we don't believe, we're not going to receive or start walking in it. And I find it really interesting that the very first um, 
element of the armour, if you like, is the belt of truth. And it talks about, um, in uh, uh, wherever it is, I think it's verse 14, it says, having girded your loins with truth. Now there's something about girding your loins that is to do with preparation. Okay? So it goes into it, the, um, and there's a number of things in scripture that talks about girding your loins. So it's to do with the long garments that they used to um, <clears throat> wear. And if they were to be doing anything really active, they would have to, you know, hitch them up and, you know, with the belt so they could walk and move fast. I'm, I'm going to end with two scriptures, um, and they're long passages, um, but they're both pictures of the bride, okay? Now, they're both in a different translation to what you've probably got in front of you, and there's elements of, of what I've been speaking about in both these things, the strength. So the first is Proverbs 31, now, I've never really connected this with the bride before. In fact, in my previous life, uh, it was always this high goal of what I was supposed to try and be as a good wife. Um, and I was so falling, falling short of it and trying some more <clears throat> because, of course, you know, that was my mode of operation was this do it in your own strength thing. But this... This beautiful um, passage um, speaks about this valiant woman and this, this, this woman of strength and mighty valor. Well, is she strong and, and mighty in her own strength? No. She's strong in the Lord and, and the strength of his might. You see, it's, it's all of these things. It talks about her girding, girding up and being in preparation. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff in it. So I'm, I'm just going to read through. So this is Proverbs 31. The translation I'm using is the Passion <coughs> Translation. So it's headed the radiant bride. Who could ever find a wife like this one? And I'll just give you that the little note that they do for this, this first bit. Starting with verse, uh, verse 10 through to the end of the book, we have a Hebrew acrostic poem. It is alphabetic, alphabetical in structure with each of the 22 verses beginning with a consecutive Hebrew letter of the alphabet. Now listen to this. The implication is that the perfections of this woman would exhaust the entire language. The subject is the perfect bride, the virtuous woman. This woman is both a picture of a virtuous wife and an incredible allegory of the end-time victorious bride of Jesus Christ, full of virtue and grace. So she's strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. She is a woman of strength and mighty valor. And those words are words that are used to... Um, describe the the men of the valiant men um, that's in <coughs> um, Exodus eighteen twenty one. Um, 
there's there's a whole lot of things. I don't, I'm not going to dive into all of this, but if you're interested, you can have a look. All the footnotes are fascinating in this. The the symbolism is absolutely profound. Listen to this. The price paid for her was greater than many jewels. Her worth. Our worth. (laughs) Who's paid for us? And what's he paid for us with? That's right. Hmm. Her husband has entrusted his heart to her or has great confidence in her, for she brings him the richest spoils of victory. All throughout her life, she brings him what is good, not evil. She searches out continually to possess that which is pure and righteous. And the, the symbolism there is with wool and linen. Wool is a metaphor for what is pure. Linen is made of flax and was always speaking about righteousness. She delights in the work of her hands. (laughs) So this is a symbol of the church. They even put a wee thing about the fivefold in here, the the work of her hands. Interesting, isn't it? She gives out, I love this, she gives out revelation truth to feed others. She is like a trading ship bringing divine supplies from the merchant. So the implication is that she is sourcing her food from another realm. And the merchant is Christ. And you can have a look at um, a parable in Matthew 13, 45, and flip it to the way you probably normally read that, and read it as the merchant looking for the pearls, the merchant being Christ, the pearl being us. He sells everything, gives everything. Even in the night season, she arises and sets food on the table for hungry ones in her house and for others. Okay, so there's no such thing as a season that takes you out and you pull back in any season. She's constantly in in this process of um, giving out she sets her heart upon a nation or a land or a country and makes it, takes it as her own, carrying it within her. She labors there to plant the living vines. She wraps herself in strength. Or this is the verse that says she girds her loins with strength and makes, makes her shoulders strong. She wraps herself in strength, might, and power in all her works. So there's a readiness. And that really ties in with Luke 12:35 which says be dressed in readiness or gird your loins in readiness and keep your lamps lit and that goes into a parable as well about the the um, servants waiting for the master who's just gone away to a wedding feast and they're going to be immediately opening the door when he knocks so there's a readiness about about us She tastes and experiences a better substance. Don't you love this? What's the better substance? Man. And her shining light will not be extinguished no matter how dark the night. (laughs) 
She stretches out her hands to help the needy and she lays hold of the wheels of government. She is known by her extravagant generosity to the poor for she always reaches out her hands. She is not afraid of tribulation for, or um, it, sometimes it says snow and that's a figure of speech for a cold winter season. So there's no <clears throat> fear of something bad coming. For all her household are covered, in this one it says, in the jewel garments of righteousness and grace. But in the other thing it says, everyone is covered in scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> it's powerful. How are, we, how are we covered in scarlet? It's the righteousness of Christ. It's his blood, isn't it? So powerful. Her clothing is beautifully knit together. A purple gown of exquisite linen. Her husband is famous and admired by all, sitting as the venerable judge of his people. That's our Lord. Even her works of righteousness she does for the benefit of her enemies, and that's to do with this aprons for the Canaanites. The Canaanites were usually the enemies. So she's giving out of love that loves on the unlovely, love that loves on the enemy, So it's this love that Jesus demonstrated when he was on the cross. Stephen said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Bold power and glorious majesty are wrapped around her as she laughs with joy over the latter days. That's particularly special to me. Um, The version that I had known, she laughs at the days to come. And I remember when we were going through the stuff with Chris and after the, um, I've shared this before, after <clears throat> his operation, two weeks after his operation, we had that big earthquake and then we had the storm the next day and we were out um, because he had an appointment. I came home and the, the bottom of the house was flooded. I remember opening the door and it was that scripture that, and it was joy. It's like, how is that? That is not me. She laughs at the days to come. You know, and it was joy because I've I've seen something, you know. And the next thing was this is training. This is training to reign with him. I'm faced right there with this, and it's joy that comes up. That can't be me. That's him, you know. Her teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pours from her lips. She watches over the ways of her household and meets every need they have. Her sons and daughters arise and her husband arises to speak of her in glowing terms. There are many valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended above them all. You are first in his eyes, is the... the um, Another way of saying it, charm can be misleading and beauty is vain and so quickly fades. We're talking about external, this thing that Chris was talking about. But this virtuous woman lives in the wonder, awe and fear of the Lord. She will be praised throughout eternity. So go ahead and give her the credit that is due for she has become a radiant woman and all her loving works of righteousness deserve to be admired at the gateways of every city. Now I'm going to end with one more. And this completely blew me away when I read this. Um, had me in tears big time. This is the same uh, translation, but it's the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. 
which when you read it in the normal um, translations, it's um, quite physical and um, it's sort of all about her elements of her body and how beautiful and pleasing she is to the bride, to the bridegroom. But you have a listen to this because this internal reality we're talking about, that he is, um, he is developing in us, he's speaking out. And I think you'll agree that this is the same sort of thing we heard from Sam. He sees it. He sees it. So the bridegroom king, listen, my dearest darling, you are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. Your eyes glisten with love like gentle doves behind your veil. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. You are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure like a lamb washed and newly shorn. You now show grace and balance with truth on display. Your lips are as lovely as Rahab's scarlet ribbon, speaking mercy, speaking grace. The words of your mouth are as refreshing as an oasis. What pleasure you bring to me. I see your blushing cheeks opened like the halves of a pomegranate, showing through your veil of tender meekness. When I look at you, I see your inner strength, so stately and strong. You are as secure as David's fortress. Your virtues and grace cause a thousand famous soldiers to surrender to your beauty. Your pure faith and love rest over your heart as you nurture those who are yet infants. The Shulmanite replies, I've made up my mind until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come. In spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you the mountain of suffering love, and the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. The bridegroom king says, Every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within. Now you are ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. We will look down from the crest of the glistening mounts and from the summit of our sublime sanctuary. Together we will wage war, in the lion's den, in the leopard's lair, as they watch nightly for their prey. For you reach into my heart. With one flash of your eyes, I'm undone by your love, my beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshipping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. How satisfying to me, my equal, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling. And your sweet perfumed praises, so exotic, so pleasing. Your loving words are like the honeycomb to me. Your tongue releases milk and honey, for I find the promised land flowing within you. The fragrance of your worshipping love surrounds you with scented robes of white. My darling bride, my private paradise, fastened to my heart. A secret spring are you that no one else can have. My bubbling fountain hidden from public view. What a perfect partner to me now that I have you. Your inward life is now sprouting, bringing forth fruit. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I'm near you, I smell aromas of the finest spice. For many clusters of my exquisite fruit now grow within your inner garden. Here are the nine pomegranates of passion, 
henna from heaven, spikenard so sweet, saffron shining, fragrant calamus from the cross, sacred cinnamon, branches of scented woods, myrrh like tears from a tree, and alloy as alloy as eagles ascending. Your life flows into mine, pure as a garden spring. A well of living water springs up from within you, like a mountain brook flowing into my heart. The Shulamite bride. Then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I'm fully yours. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. And the bridegroom king replies, I have come to you, my darling bride, for you are my paradise garden. And the Shulmanite bride replies, Come walk with me until I'm fully yours. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. It's powerful, isn't it? That's the passion version, yeah. So I just want to leave that with you. Like I say, there's there's a lot of things that you can dig in that, but the the prime thing is to know that it is impossible. <laughs> if if you get a sight of the high calling, it is impossible in us. But there is this empowerment that is his. And it we we just need to believe. Amy shared a beautiful thing. Where is she? I hope you don't mind me sharing this. I'm sure she said, well, what was it? What was it? She talked about having come to the realisation that she just needed to believe what he says. And it helped her get over herself. I love the way you said that. Because it helps us get over this excusing ourselves. This is just what I'm like. So that that doesn't define us, but what he says is defining us, and we're just believing what he says. It is simple devotion to what he said and being able to take him at his word. Amen? Cool. Enjoy the questions. Thanks, guys.